prescient, profound, and provocative, Othello remains one of Shakespeare's most enduring and controversial plays. Now in a time of political uncertainty, rising populism and social fracture, it's been reinvented again. Welcome to The Othello Project. The Othello Project is an exciting artistic response to the Shakespeare at Tobacco Factory and English Touring Theatre's new production of Othello, directed by Richard Twyman. Othello comes to London's Wilton's Music Hall from 16 May to 3rd June. The project is generously supported by Amal, an initiative of the Said Foundation. I'm your host, journalist Abdul Rahman Malik. I'm also a creative advisor to the production. Each week, we're exploring some of the powerful themes, issues, and fault lines that Othello raises. If Othello is a character tortured by his public and private faith and his experience of violence, slavery, and the burden of assimilation, then the world he inhabits, the world of Venice, offers a similar, maybe worse deal to its women. Shakespeare only wrote three female characters into Othello, Desdemona, Iago's wife Emilia, and the Cypriot courtesan of sorts, Bianca. Yet they are so powerfully depicted in this production that the audience is left with no doubt that the role that patriarchy, gender injustice, and misogyny plays in the decisions and lives of all of its characters is profound. We talk through these issues with Nora Lopez Holden, who plays Desdemona, Hayat Kamil, who plays Bianca, and the brilliant assistant director, Floriana Dezu. This was one conversation that I didn't want to end. Every time we picked up a theme or idea, a dozen more presented themselves. We began with Nora, whose depiction of Desdemona has been lauded by critics, about how she expressed her character's heroism and what it was like to learn some Arabic. Enjoy the conversation. One of the things that occurs to me about Othello and watching Othello is is really the importance of the female roles. And the importance of the female roles are because there are so few female roles. And so, so any time there's a woman on stage or a female character on stage, in a way, the stage totally transforms. And you're like... Okay, it's no longer a sausage fest. We are now we are now we are now gonna hear or experience something or a perspective that's 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 really, really different. Um but this production of Othello, Nora, is is different because we see a female character on stage within the first few moments. Because um well the production has added something to it. I, I want you to tell me a little bit about what that first scene means to you and and in a way how it shaped how it how it shapes your character and actually your performance in the in the play itself Mm. um when we talked with Richard about um adding that adding that that scene in it was a lot of it was because those two characters Othello and Desdemona are spoken about so much before they actually appear uh, Desdemona's. I think she's got three scenes where she's spoken about, and then she appears in the in the in the Senate. And there's something about hearing um, someone's perspective of these two characters and this love and this marriage, rather than actually seeing it, and um, because you're getting it through the Iago and Rodrigo filter, <laughs> you know, and it's not it's um, a pretty toxic filter. Yeah, it's absolutely toxic filter. And then you know, and then the play starts from that from that seed to whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I think we talked about how we just wanted to show that purity to begin with, because that's the seed of the play. You know, that's the seed of where everything stems from. Um, so to see it, because it's only ever talked about, and and in, anymore, and, so. and in this version, there is a Muslim marriage yeah, on exactly, stage, exactly. and both of you speak Arabic to yeah, each other. Yeah. Did you find the Arabic challenging? I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. We had so much help with um, Hayat and. And you've been so helpful as well, sending us all this. But I mean, it's just gorgeous. I I speak Spanish, so it, it, you know it's sort of the Mediterra- Mediterranean sort of flavor. It's not quite the same, but there's there's similarities, isn't there? Um, of um, I just think it's such a beautiful language. In many ways, you're 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 kind of 
your, your background being from Spain, you're, you're the kind of this, this product of the Mediterranean. Yeah. And, and, and that's in the way the scene in which all this cross-cultural yeah. interaction and pollination is taking place. Do you think your, your own life kind of prepared you for this particular role? Um, I or, think... or I would say rather how... Have, has your did your experiences both growing up in a, in kind of a multicultural person mm. between two countries and mm. cultures prepare you for this for this part in particular mm. it's interesting because I, I think the the, the society in, in the, the Venetian society in which some most of the characters are from um Desdemona's Desdemona and her father quite closeted quite um tight-knit sort of um, community that are sort of scared of this mm-hmm. otherness, you know. So it's she's she's fallen in love with someone that happens to be um, from the Moorish kingdom, but she's not, you know. She's she's been sort of closeted all her life to to marry off to an Italian, and you know her family have been from a line of like Italian aristocracy, Italian like senators, and um, you know important people like that. But um, but yeah, it's quite a, a close sort of. Um, claustrophobic society so then when they get to Cyprus that's why it, it all seems to unravel and you, you know you, you, you talked earlier about how Desdemona is, is spoken about so much yeah, yeah, yeah. In, the, in those first opening <laughs> opening scenes that, that in a way although I, I, I you know being reintroduced to the play and having having read it it mm-hmm. didn't quite prepare me actually for mm-hmm. that Quite an ama- that amazing scene in the Senate yeah. where 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 you as Desdemona appear, yeah. and and actually Desdemona is really subversive. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's this there's this there's this razor sharp intelligence and the way she she her, her uses words yeah, yeah. and language and intonation and you capture that you capture that really not just beautifully but it's 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 a real pattern interrupt from uh from 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 what we as an audience have seen up until up until that point i'm really intrigued how do you prepare for a role like desdemona it's so iconic yeah um it's such an iconic i mean it's such an iconic role in shakespeare let alone in theater yeah and then given the fact that the play is being interpreted in a particular way yeah. and it's highlighting sort of issues that maybe other productions have, have rarely looked instead at or maybe of, never looked at. Yeah. How do you prepare for that? And yeah, how do you get into that? It's interesting. I think I'm guilty of many young actresses um, sort of written off Desdemona as this... Um, airy sort of lover who's quite naive who doesn't have much substance and every time I looked at Othello I've always loved Othello I studied it at at sixth form I always looked at Amelia's monologues because it's hard to identify with on the outside if you don't you know with a woman that seems to not stand up for herself so much and is is sort of in this um is letting herself get carried away in this abusive whatever but when I got the audition through, I started to look through from Desdemona's um, journey through. And it's just, she's it's not written like that at all. It's madness how much, like, um, the expectation of playing her is to be sort of meek and and naive and, you know, floating around the stage. And she's not like that at all. So she's spoken about by men before she comes on stage. And, of course, they're going to describe her as, um, you know, uh, as she's so, um, what did they say? sort of floaty um, so still and quiet that her motion blushed at herself mm. <laughs> and you read that as a young woman you're like no what, what? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that doesn't exist do you know what I mean what, what does that mean um, am I a ghost <laughs> but um, but the first thing she does is she comes on and defies her father you know oh yeah because of because she's fallen in love and she's like hang on a minute you uh, when, when my mother fell in love with you she picked you over her father so why can't I do that do you know what I mean it's not the naive, I think she is naive in that she's young and she's, this is the first time she's fallen in love. But her naivety comes from like not understanding the cynicism of you can't be with this man because of the colour of his skin. You mm-hmm. can't, you know. Um, so she's a great character to play for that. This, the tragedy of it is that as the play unfolds, she sort of becomes more and more oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't set out like that at all. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it's. As the as the play unfolds, the 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 oppressions mount mount pretty quickly, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And one of the things that 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 occurs to me with this particular production is that we're investing Desdemona with a huge responsibility. Not mm-hmm. only is she defying her father and the conventions of Venetian society, mm-hmm. but this interpretation of the play means that she's one of the only people who is holding Othello's true self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know that 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 is that that's a kind of an added that's an that's an added component to the character of Desdemona yeah, that, that we probably really haven't seen before. Yeah. And did you feel that that changed the way in which you approached her character, knowing that that she was carrying the secret and actually was was supporting him and party to his subterfuge of, of of sorts? I think I think that's when that first scene is so important to to bed that in. Um, for for me as an actor, as with Desdemona, but also for the audience to know that, oh, okay, she knows. <laughs> They're on the same. She's the only person that shares this secret of his identity. Um, I think it adds to his, in her respect, it adds to his um, otherness, his, you know, this thing that she isn't, she, they haven't got in common, but she loves about him. Um, Do you think it adds to his desirability? I think so. Yeah. I think so in her... In her, you know, ignorant mind of being like this, uh, this exotic other. But it, the 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 tragedy is that um, the otherness turns from um, exoticism and and desire into like unknowing and fear. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's like, well, my religion isn't the same as yours, so I can't understand why you're making the decisions that you're making because. Um, and so the play does that. I mean, the play does that in so many different ways. And like, th- in the switch of like the plot, how what once was um, positive and l- the heat of Cyprus is sexy and exciting suddenly becomes stifling and claustrophobic. It's the same thing as um, Othello's identity becomes like desirable for her, and then suddenly it becomes like terrifying because it's the unknown. And actually, Abraham's height, we, we talked a lot about. There is a afraid. real height difference. There's a big there. height difference, yeah, which in the first half is um, is like, you know, it's exciting because it's like he's, he's this big guy that's like shoving her over his shoulder and like doing all these lifts because we can't actually kiss unless he lifts me up because it's hilarious. The height difference is ridiculous. Um, and then in the second half, it's suddenly this massive guy who I've got no chance with because... You know, he's so overpowering. So it's just, yeah, it's that juxtaposition of the same sort of elements. I, I want, I, I'm going to return to this yeah. in, in a second, but I mean, you, you sort of, you sort of, sort of open that conversation about violence mm. because there is violence at the very core of this yeah. play, yeah. and the violence starts very early, and the threat of violence looms over it, and I think, for, for watching it and and just just thinking about what happens during the second half of the play, even the way Desdemona's father mm. behaves with her in the Senate. Mm. And it's it's quite it's quite a kind of a ooh, it's it's yeah. a really uncomfortable moment as a member of the audience. Yeah. Because when he kind of rejects her, mm. he he does two things. One is that he gets physically close to hurting her yeah. and begins to hurt her. And and I, I don't know how the how 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 the audience takes it every night, but I remember sort of clenching yeah. my fists watching even in rehearsal you know yeah. feeling like oh, this is this is this is there's something there's something really evil yeah. uh, about his reaction but then then there's that the, the, there's a second part is that he kind of just throw, you know throws her under the bus so to yeah. speak and says and says well it's no longer about our relationship yeah. but Othello even though i hate your blackness your moreness yeah, your yeah. otherness know that even more wretched than you in some ways is this woman and that's a shocking moment because it's like these two almost in the violent words and violent act that's done and i mean once again i'm I'm fascinated by the way an actor processes that Mm -hmm. and how that kind of i mean those kind of messages embed in the way that you play the play the character i think i think we were so keen to really bring out the like violent misogyny in the play because it's a really cruel play in how the the, the men treat the women um, and so so much of that senate is this woman walking in the, in this world of men in the, the, you know if the houses of common was well, I mean, it's, if it's still but the, uh, full of men speaking eloquently for herself 
and people not knowing what to do with that because she's so intelligent and she can stand up for herself and she's sort of more intelligent than half of the rest of them and then the the, the instant like back hand to that is that oh well you're a woman you're a creature so I own you and now your husband owns you so here you are I'm passing you on like a like um like a piece of trash or whatever and at um, that moment it's almost Othello who's the only one who respects that yeah, about yeah. about you I mean even the way Abe plays it with his it's almost pride yeah. pride and, and, and adoration yeah I think this this is an, a conversation that me and Abraham have had a lot <laughs> throughout rehearsals is that I think part of the reason why she why Desdemona falls, falls in love with um, Othello is because he sees her in the way that she sees him as beautiful in spite of whatever in spite of any kind of prejudice that anyone else has he sees her as a human being rather than a woman or a property or whatever um, and we disagreed a lot on whether Abe, um, Othello was uh, misogynist, uh, a misogynist to begin with. Then part of the tragedy of it is that, you know, that's part of the manipulation that Iago uses is to be like, but she's a woman. <laughs> mm. Which is something that, that the purity of their love to begin with doesn't even... Do you know what I mean? That's part of yeah. the sadness is that it doesn't even compute for him. Yeah, and and so, th- there's a lot of sadness in, <laughs> yeah. in, this, in this play. I... Um, uh, Hayat, I want I want to pick some of that up, up with you because you the character that you play Bianca is mm. is portrayed in the play as decidedly a, an other, right? She she is from Cyprus, and you know you're from an Iraqi background, born in Iraq, came here when when you were very young, and we were speaking earlier about about the way you see your own identity. And I, 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 I want to explore that a little bit because it, it, you were telling me earlier that, that you haven't been back to Iraq since you came to this country and that, that was, you were nine months old, but you feel deeply connected and you, you, refer, you see yourself as an Iraqi. And how, 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 how have you come to that self-identity? And in a way, how do you bring that bicultural identity or multicultural identity or multilingual identity to a role like Bianca who is kind of um who's a really interesting character and and who's 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 a kind of a dangerous character but also a character who doesn't fit into the Venetian the Venetian landscape and we're in wild Cyprus now so characters like Bianca are allowed to exist but but, let, but let's go back to 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 yourself of uh, your sense of self about who you are and where you came from well, that got deep real quick. <laughs> um, I think it's it's that thing where, as I mentioned earlier, I don't feel Arab around Arabs and I don't feel English around English people. <laughs> so I am in this weird bicultural limbo, as it were. Mm. Um, and it's kind of its, its own culture in a way because I have a friend who is uh, Christian Iraqi and I know we share that kind of same sentiment. And it's difficult. It's difficult growing up uh, as an Iraqi in England, where at the time there weren't many Arabic-speaking schools, like language schools, for us to learn Arabic, for example. And my mum, bless her heart, tried her best to teach me, but, you know, we'd end up having massive arguments. Um, so that was really tricky. But what I will say is that through my family and that kind of life, I held on to my... Arab identity and a lot of my family were in Iraq for a long time and my mum has four sisters and for a long time they all lived there and then one moved to Canada, one moved to America, one moved to Jordan and then the other stayed in Iraq and my grandfather stayed in Iraq and he was buried in Iraq, he wanted to, he wanted to pass away there. So I always had connections to it uh, even though I'd never been back and loved going to the Middle East and and would go to Amman and Beirut and uh, still to this day really want to go back to Iraq but like who knows when Um, so yeah it's it's having that sense of such a strong culture within my family and like the weddings and the food and the language and my mum would always talk to me in Arabic and I remember like we would go shopping for clothes or things and I'd be trying on stuff she'd be talking to me in Arabic and I'd be answering in English and people would be like really confused um it's it's amazing the power of culture isn't it yeah that that culture sometimes doesn't even need place yeah but but it's carried through people and communities and language and custom yeah um 
And I often pe- feel that there isn't an appreciation for that. There isn't an appreciation for how powerful that is, and how much you can associate it with, with how much you can associate yourself with a place. But you actually never have to actually go there because mm-hmm. because that place is in all the people around you and, yeah. and, in, and in who you are. You are listening to The Othello Project, created by English Touring Theatre with support from Amal, a project of the Said Foundation. Amal provides opportunities for people in Britain, regardless of their faith or beliefs, to come together and explore the rich diversity of Muslim cultures and arts. To find out more about the work of Amal, visit amal.org.uk. That's A M. AL.org.uk. Now back to the podcast. How did you approach the character then of, of, of Bianca? Because Bianca plays a kind of a critical role in moving elements of the story along. More than, I, more than I had remembered it from reading it yeah, many, totally. many years ago. Totally, yeah. And, and I mean, you, you, you bring a kind of a, 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 a passion and an energy to that role, which is, which it's, it's actually, it's, because we're in Cyprus all of a sudden, and we're not in staid Venice, where things <laughs> operate according to certain rules, yeah. we get to Cyprus, yeah. and it's like all hell breaks loose. Yeah, exactly. And right in the middle of that is yeah. Bianca, yeah. who is kind of organizing the party, <laughs> having relationships, is kind of directing things. So, I mean, how do you approach the role of role of a character like Bianca, and 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 what does she mean to you? In terms of the play, what what does she represent, and what, what what for you? What's the role that she plays in kind of being a one of the protagonists of the story? Uh, I think touching on what Nora said about how and what you said about get, as soon as it gets to Cyprus, it all unravels, and it's kind of on this really uh, unsafe terrain and kind of like rocky rocky uh, journey. I think it in terms of how I approached her, it was interesting when I went in for my audition with Richard because I. I'm not Shakespearean trained, I'm not classical trained actor. I don't, I've not really done theatre before Shakespeare. And it's always been my fear. And um, I went into the audition absolutely bricking it. Um, but Richard was amazing and like made me feel comfortable straight away. And I just went in with a really naturalistic portrayal of this woman who is um, so caught up with this guy and has such p- passionate and strong feelings towards him. And just playing it as a woman in love talking to the guy that she loves and and that kind of as a as a baseline and then Richard said okay how about you do it in an Arabic accent and throw in some Arabic words and I was like oh okay this is exciting so I I did that and it's so funny how it the passion just notched up like six like six marks and it was like um okay maybe like maybe she is like you know down this road um, so that was really fun and it got it, yeah got really fiery and really kind of a, a bit aggressive um, and that's kind of the route we took it down that was like where we started off uh, with it and I think it's just what Richard was saying about he wants it to be human relationships and, and I never once thought of her as a prostitute mm-hmm. I never once thought of her as a courtesan I never thought of her as like even during the play when I would hear for example, when Iago says she sells her herself for bread and clothes, I'm like, do I? Like, like I don't think I do. Like, and then I'm like, oh, maybe I do. Like, I, it's news to me every time I hear it. Um, and I mean, you don't play it like you play it like you're a woman in charge. I yeah, I just you think, do from yeah, the from the I, moment you come on the stage. It's like oh, it's me. like this is someone who is in charge. This is not this is not someone who's shy or reclining or even oppressed exactly I, think. I never saw you as oppressed yeah uh, as your character and I think that in a way is also really interesting because there are so many oppressed women in this play well, yeah and, and 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 each of you in your own way I don't know if it's if it's kind of a, a, a kind of a personal resistance uh, within the text pushing the text pushing the characters but all of you resist that notion yeah. of, of, of of oppression in your own in your own way, in your in your own character. Yeah, you can't really. Pe- sorry to interrupt. No. You can't really play being oppressed because it's something you get oppressed. But if anyone who is oppressed obviously tries their hardest, not do you know what I mean? If someone's going to try and kill me, I'm going to try my hardest to fight for my life. And it's interesting with Bianca because um, she's she's otherized as this Cypriot woman as opposed to a Venetian woman. But as soon as Iago can use her as a scapegoat for his like 
for, for to cover up. She's suddenly a woman. She's suddenly a whore. She's suddenly a prostitute. So, so it's just yeah yeah it's like I mean? what you said if you succumb to oppression if they if they are going to succumb to oppression then they don't have, actually have anything to say no. or do and i think it's really interesting that if i were to set out or anyone who were to play bianca in the future was to set out and go this is a woman who's oppressed or, and and this is a woman who made makes bad life choices or if you are to judge the character before you've even started you've shot yourself in the foot from like get from the get-go mm. um and i think it's really important to to even though she isn't as large of a character in terms of scenes or lines or anything like that, it's it's important not to discredit uh, what she stands for within the play. And I think yeah. the three women within the play represent. I mean, you've got you've got Amelia, obviously, who who has the the goals to say all the things that she wants to say, and you've got uh, Desdemona, who's defied her her. Um, father to go and marry somebody who isn't from her community and risking being shunned and and cast out of her you know upmarket venetian society which still to this day happens mm. and then you've got obviously bianca who who is a woman who i think she's unmarried goes about does her own thing maybe dabbles in a bit of here and there and is is, is kind of cast aside because she's you know, of a, of a sexual nature without having a, a ring on her finger or whatever it is. And I think it's so important to see that Shakespeare's put these three women and highlighted that these three women, so interesting, that didn't fit within the Renaissance period of the time of the of how women were supposed to be of mm. that time and how forward-thinking that is and how incredibly relevant it is still to today. And, and there's a power that Bianca brings, particularly that relationship with Cassio, isn't it? I mean, Cassio is, is, is smitten but is almost encouraged not to be. You yeah. know, there's there's you can see that there's something there, but then but then it's like you're you're going in too deep. You know, you're you're yeah. you're falling too deeply. Yeah. You're not Venetian enough, you're not European enough, you're not man enough. It's almost like this this foreign siren has taken has has, has taken control yeah. of you. Which is so interesting for me because it's just the same way they treat Othello. But this is the thing, that's so, what it's so, so Bianco is yeah. almost like is, is almost like Othello minor. Exactly. In in the play, but from yeah. a different perspective and a different gender yeah, perspective yeah. as well. You've got like this intense, kind of condensed version of it from a female perspective of this inherent jealousy and all this kind of stuff. Which is super interesting and it's one of those things where Richard from the get go wanted to play it that Cassio genuinely loves her. And they genuinely love each other. And then all that stuff about him laughing, he laughs when he hears of her, what that Iago says about him. And it's like, well, it's that playground antics of like, oh, you fancy her? And you're like, oh, shut up, I don't. You know, like all that kind of stuff. Like kind of laughing off and... and, 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 and Men are so base. Yeah, exactly. And just like being really scared of what would happen if he were to turn around and go, actually, yeah, I do. He actually isn't as brave enough as Desmona to turn around and go, yeah, I do love her. And yeah. you know what? What the repercussions of that would be? It's it's, it's true. I want to be. I want to bring Floriana into this. Floriana, you're the assistant director um, of this production uh, of, of Othello, and you've been listening to Hayat and and um, Nora speak about about their characters. But in a way, you engaged and have engaged with the with the text and the play differently. You're constantly having to see the big picture. Um, and to guide this production through uh, to to its conclusion. Now that you've finished the Bristol run, and reflecting on some of these fault lines that we've been talking about, um, how do you feel? How do you feel at this point in the in the journey of this play? Are you excited, pleased, happy, trepidatious? What what does it what does it look like to you? Um, I think being able to kind of take a step back and watch what we've created over a kind of a four or five week period has been has been completely refreshing and I still see things in the play that we may have had one or two conversations about in rehearsals but that's now kind of been highlighted and is at the forefront of the play. I think in terms of um, the women's characters and how they've formed over over that rehearsal period um, I think we've the production does shine a light onto the relationships of the women um, together as well as individuals. I think the relationship that Amelia and Desdemona have um, is something that we, we've perhaps done in um, an alternate way. Often Amelia's character is kind of a bit more maid-like, slightly more mm. subdued, um, kind of gets cat follows Desdemona around a little bit. Um, but she in her own right is kind of has her own status because of 
Iago in his place in the army. And then in turn, I think the exchange that the women have together and, and seeing how Desdemona confronts her father and is um, kind of at the forefront of standing up for herself in turn um, kind of ignites Amelia into being able to, to stand up. And by the end of the play, um, something which she perhaps would never have done if the circumstances had been different, um, stands in a room of men and says, um, puts her hand up and says, let me speak. Um, I want to tell you the truth. I know what's happened. Um, listen to me. Like I, literally begging them to hear her for the, for who she is and the words that she's saying as opposed to her gender and what it means to be a woman in that time. Um, so I think that relationship between Desmona and um, Amelia has something that's really um, stood out to me watching the play. It, it, I think for all of us, that scene, the, the Willow scene, mm. is... Is, is it's really special it's special to watch for a whole bunch of reasons yeah. um but you're absolutely right the the intense intimacy between the two women in that scene and actually how in a way that scene is almost a breath of fresh air which ends very quickly <laughs> because we start this decline into this you know horrific conclusion but I think the fact that it is so powerful is 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 because, in a way, it that male energy is kind of removed, mm-hmm. and 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 these characters are are allowed to kind of speak for themselves and on their own, and and in that memory of that song, which I mean, is really beautifully performed. Is there's something really powerful about that, and I think almost for the audience, and I know maybe Shakespeare meant it that way. For the audience, it's a Ooh, they breathe mm. before before the inevitable, inevitable, inevitable happens. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you saw that scene, but that that's what it appeared to me with with all my with all my biases. That's the mm. way I I kind of approach it. But maybe as a man, I approach it differently. I think you're absolutely right. There is a moment of breath in there, and even even the text and the way um, it's played so beautifully is that there's an outburst, and Desdemona is like these men. These these goddamn men <laughs> that have put us in, us in this situation and not really seeing the effect that it has on them and their, their persons. Um, I think for them to share that intimacy and to be able to have a frank and honest discussion about the world, about where they fit in, about what their relationship is with their significant others and what it then puts them, um, the kind of situation it then puts them in. Um, there's a definite a moment of a kind of lull, a calm before the storm, um, and also that slight foreshadowing that yeah. no matter what decision these women then make following this conversation, ultimately the men are in some way going to prevail and end up um, making decisions for them. Yeah, yeah go ahead. It's, there, uh, it's a beautifully written scene, I have to say, because of that foreshadowing is in it. There's there's, there's an, another, again, something that me and Katie, to, to begin with, were really passionate about avoiding. There's sort of a misconception about that scene that it's, can be quite passive and quite languishing and it's uncorseting Desdemona while she's singing this song and and, and we're just like well, hang on that doesn't fit with the story um actually the, the bare essential of this scene is two women one of whom's been abused in her in her marriage two of which they're both being sort of abused in, in different ways manipulated um and they're trying to avoid that fact as much as possible trying to sweep it under the carpet but they both know what's going on and there's just this thing in the air of something that we're not in control over, but he's going to come. But for now, you know, we can, we've got this safe space in which, and it, the way that it's staged in our production is that the men leave. So it's very much the absence of the men have been on, on, this, on, on the stage, you know, and it's, it's dangerous because they're, they're, they're a breath away and they could hear what we're saying. But just the power, that's the first time two women are on stage. Yeah, there's a risk. Men. There There is something yeah. risky there. Uh, Floriana, I... Just to change gears slightly, although it's not much of a gear change, as as a woman of color, how do, how did when 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 you got the kind of the, the job, the call that you're going to be the assistant director of Othello, is there is there is there a partic- do you feel that there was a particular way you approached it? Um, I'm not sure if it's a particular way, but I guess the perspective and the the way that I see the world is through a prism of my experiences and my experience as a young black female um, with a dual identity that is living in Britain today. Um, and with a play that is so kind of um, focused on, on well, in this in this production, it was a contemporary version of um, Shakespeare, which is obviously the Elizabethan um, 
kind of society. I, I think also as having studied history, I was quite interested in seeing how those, um, how Venetian society and othering and how people were treated then, how much that has changed um, in today's society. So I think I went at it through the perspective of wanting to um, show those experiences um, and really highlight what it would be like for, for Othello, what it would be like for the characters in this play because those characters are living, those characters do exist. A lot of the situations that we see on the stage in Othello, though it is a dramatised tragedy, those situations are still very real. And I think um, Richard's kind of idea of showing the human aspect of it um, was kind of integral to, to was really showing the play in a truthful way because um, the, the stories are so worth telling, it's so worth telling today because there's so many people out there that can relate to yeah, it makes me wonder how much has changed. Mm. I mean, how, how much has changed in terms of these massive fault lines that that Othello shows us shows us up. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a very pertinent question and one that I would have to say, sadly, I don't think a lot has. Um, I think the the ideas that this play are about are kind of um, long standing questions that that have have been interrogated to some degree, but not a lot has kind of changed following them. Um, I think though um, women, you know, have, have achieved full suffrage in England, um, whether women are able to exercise their rights across the globe is is still very much, um, you know, in question as well. I think, um, I just found out recently that in, in Switzerland, women didn't have the suffrage until 1971 and um, in some cases until 1990. So if we're looking at how much has changed from the Elizabethan era, then in, in terms of, of time, um, not a lot. Yeah, and, and and I guess and I guess the thing that I think I think the thing that that's really interesting about this production is that because we're looking at it through the lens uh, that Othello as a character himself is hiding a true part of himself in order to assimilate and integrate into a society that is not his own. So privately he's a Muslim, publicly he he's a he's a Christian, but he's bought into the Venetian system. He's serving the Venetian Venetian system and there's an element of race because his race is brought up again and again and there's an element of his otherness of 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 culture which is brought up again and again. Um the production also doesn't stray away from the fact that we've been talking about that patriarchy and misogyny looms large. And you mentioned that Nora earlier that that it was a very um, it, it was it, it was it was really by design mm. that that the play would highlight highlight that. Mm. Um, you know how how do you how do how do we make sure? How do you as a director make sure that that some of that complexity, particularly around patriarchy and misogyny is given its due in a play that's so complex and has so many issues that it could be not forgotten but it could be underplayed i think i think the way race works in the world today so in the elizabethan era it was more race people were more racialized as opposed to racism um, and how that manifests in today's world in terms of it being um, about economy and power structures and, and how kind of, you know, in Elizabethan era, trade was was um, slightly more in terms of exchange, whereas as today we live in a capitalist um, economy that is, um, which dictates how um, society works in terms of the patriarchy as well. I think very much intertwined. I think that... Um, the, the patriarchy enables racism um, to exist in that this context because if we're looking at who who and what the patriarchy stands for, it isn't women, it isn't people of colour. And so I think um, the two are quite closely intertwined. So it was it's through the relationships that we're able to explore the complexities of it because we look at um, a group of people in a space, um, in a room, and we're able to read situations and body languages about things like power, about... Um, status about um how other characters perceive other people and i think when when we kind of um look at that 
and how that plays out in terms of narrative, we're able to build a bigger picture um, about the world that we're putting on stage. And I think, you know, Shakespeare is known for holding up to a mirror, holding up mirrors of society and, and kind of being able to throw back to the audience what the world that they're living in is like. I think we the audience doesn't come into the theatre not knowing anything. Mm. Um, you know, we had very intelligent audiences mm. that were coming in with their own ideas and notions about one what the play is already about how they see the world. So I think, um, as a as a director and, and as kind of in terms of steering the production, it's about giving people um, a way in, kind of highlighting things that will then trigger their own conversations and making an active audience member, um, as opposed to trying to show a kind of fait accompli. It's more about engaging them to think about the questions that were... Well, I'm, I'm going to throw that over to, to Nora and, and, and Hayat because uh, when Floriana talks about power, it, I mean, the whole play is about is, is about yeah. power. And, and I mean, so much of what we know about misogyny and patriarchy, of course, is, is based on power, is, the, is, on, is on control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, I think as, 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 as actors who, who, are, who are in role, how conscious are you of those power relationships? I guess you, you must be all the time as you're, as you're acting out those, those, those roles. And, and how much of then of your true selves is allowed to speak when you're always negotiating with, with power? It's, it's something that, you know, we, we often talk about, you know, when I, when I speak as a, as, as a brown Muslim man, you know, the conversations my friends and I have is around constantly having to position ourselves against certain narratives about us. And then what happens when all of our narratives are then reactionary and who am I? Am I just a big old reaction? Mm-hmm. And and yet, and I feel you transcended that. I feel that your characters, um, regardless of how they're written, the way you what you brought to your characters transcended merely reaction. Mm-hmm. But but I I, I want to if you could pick apart how you did it, <laughs> or, or 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 how how much you were aware of it. Um. But that is how it's written as well. Do you know what I mean? It's not to take away. That is how it's written, but it's just something that over the years, um, the productions, it's gathered dust on, you know, changing it to be the stereo, the, the reactions. So the actors fall into the traps of playing the reactions, um, playing the this um, oppressed woman who is everything that these men say I am, um, and playing this savage uh, other character who everyone calls me savage, you know, and who is... Who is described as unintelligent by this by this patriarchal white society, and you know falling into the traps of like, well, you know, this is, but but that's not how they're written. They're written <laughs> complex and and um, breaking away from that. But as an actor, you you give the other character. You you can only you can't um, play status. You have to be given status. So it's negotiating in the scenes, isn't it? What? Um, but I think each character plays to win. That's the argument. Is that? You know that the, when there's an argument in a scene, you play to to win. Do you know what I mean? Regardless of what your standing is in in the oh, society, that's, that's you have really to sort of win yeah. the you don't argument. Go 50%, win the, you yeah. have to go for it. Yeah. So explain that. Yeah. Explain explain how well, you understand by that. because <laughs> it's it's an interesting it's an interesting idea of a, of an of an actor in her role playing playing to win. Mm. What, what, what does that mean to you? I think in that. I remember I was in a drama class once and someone was screaming, but they weren't screaming to their full potential. And the acting teacher was like, if you were being strangled or if you were being, if you'd just been shot, you would be in pain. Like you wouldn't be holding back. You'd be, you know, you'd give it your all. Um, And I think it's easy to sometimes act to where you think you should be at with something. and, And it can be quite scary to go the whole way. And, like what Nora said, it is they are written to have very very strong uh, opinions and 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 perspectives. For example, with Bianca, when she comes in and kind of unleashes hell on on Cassio and says, "Let the devil and his dam haunt you," which is basically saying, "Let the devil and his mum haunt you," mm-hmm. like it's quite a bold thing to come in and 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 say. And it's testament to Richard, really, where he. W- was saying with Bianca it's she's 
goes from zero to 60 like in in a, in, a, in a heartbeat and she's fiery fiery whether she's fiery fiery in love or whether she's angry yeah. she's at both ends mm. of the of the thing so it's never played down it's mm. never polite it's never like apologetic it's always loud and and strong and and these things and i think it's such a breath of fresh air to be playing a, a classical role but in such a despite its size its capacity like mm. she's massive as a as a character which has been which has been great and the state the stakes are always really high mm. the stakes more just like 80 percent of the play that, are that, life that, or death yeah so. that, that all of a sudden you've i mean the stakes are already raised yeah but now in in the way in which you've approached the characters you've raised the stakes even more yeah. you've you've called shakespeare's bluff in a way you know you've, yeah. you've yeah, he's put his cards on the table his chips on the table and he says i'm gonna I'm, I'm i'm seeing you and i'm gonna raise yeah. you because i'm gonna bring that other element to to, to the fore I and and maybe that maybe that's what makes this yeah. production special yeah. um that's what pushes it into that into that into into that into that other place mm. almost almost you know transcendent place yeah. yeah there's only three women and they need to be yeah. of substance in order to warrant their place in the play and also just to show that they're just better than the rest of the people in the class. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such it's is sorry it's such an e- economical play as well in the, how it's written in terms of this there's this conception that like you know in Shakespeare plays characters go on for about 10 minutes like saying how they feel and nothing happens but actually it's not that kind of play it's economical and the way that the productions we've cut certain bits out to to really drive the story through so if i if i've only got three lines to convince you that I'm chased so that you don't kill me, then I'm going to take those three lines. You're, you're going to make them to the, Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. You are listening to The Othello Project, created by English Touring Theatre with support from Amal, a project of the Said Foundation. To keep up to date with ETT's work, visit www.ett.org.uk and sign up to their mailing list. Upcoming shows include Rules for Living by Sam Holcroft and The Weir by Connor McPherson, touring UK venues this autumn. And now for the conclusion of our podcast. Many people will ask this question. Mm. I don't think it's an easy question. <laughs> uh, I actually think it's a really complicated question. Mm. Is Othello a misogynist? <laughs> Desdemona. A million dollar question. Desdemona, talk to us. Um... Oh God! I mean, <laughs> this, the odds are stacked against him, aren't they? <laughs> he kills his wife. <laughs> but um, I think part of the tragedy of the play is that their love is one is pure and of one that could that could defy all all societal prejudices. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the place in which the play happens is in this toxic masculine environment of soldiers in which um othello can ease more easily relate to iago because he understands him because of his gender so he'll listen and believe anything that iago says about this woman because well i i can't trust her because she's a woman (laughs) and i'm a man yeah, I have, a, I have a big passion and strong belief that if the events of the play didn't happen, um, their their love would um, defy all the sort of social prejudice. Um, because it's part of the reason why she falls in love with him, I think. That he, you know, in the first scene, <laughs> when they're talking about their love in the Senate, his argument is, why don't you send for her and let her speak for herself? To which all the other men are like, that's hilarious. What a woman speaking for herself in this male environment. But he sort of doesn't think twice about it because, it, you know, he's this woman that she loves. I wonder, yeah. I wonder about, I wonder about the background that Othello might have come from. You know, I yeah. think we were talking, I was talking to Abe about that earlier. You know, if we imagine, say, Othello was from, from West Africa um, and in West African Muslim tribal cultures, some of which are very matriarchal, some of which have strong, strong female characters. And I think generally um, Muslim cultures actually do. Then I think he would have approached the presence of women and the voice of women very differently than, you know, post-Renaissance Christian Europe might have. 
And and in a in in a way, isn't it, Floriana, what Othello does, and 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 not not to excuse him, because we can't, but to understand that 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 in a way for him to do what he does, he needs to fully abandon his cultural and his spiritual past in 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 order to do what he does because i can i i i can't bring myself to think that he would have considered that conscionable otherwise yeah i th- i think it's important to understand um the i guess misogyny and, and and how and how one becomes a misogynist i think these things are learned and whether and how much um in assimilating did Othello take on this cloak of um, behaviorisms, which included um, treating women in a particular way, um, and whether had he had he not had to assimilate, and perhaps if he was somebody in passing who was then um, going to go going to go back to um, West Africa, North Africa, a different culture and a different um, a different way of 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 living and seeing the world, would he have? Um, would he would he have done what he did? It's a question that we'll never know the answer to. But I think, mm-hmm. um, given the circumstances in the society that he was in, he was um, unfortunately able to to make choices that those around him um, would have supported him in, in making those choices. Um, I think, I think it's yeah, it's society enabled him to to kill Desdemona, mm-hmm. and you know, in in society's eyes. If she was unchaste and if she was an adulterer, he in some way would have um, been commended, or there would have been some kind of light relief. It was just it was a just act of killing, um, and I think I think we can't we can't ignore that insidious side of it. And um, I think I think it's more complex than whether Othello is a misogynist, because that implies that it's a very fixed thing, and I think people can transcend or can become and unlearn certain things um so at some points yes he definitely is a misogynist and he kills his wife he's a murderer um but whether that is everything he could potentially have been or everything that he stands for i think um that's still open what do you make of that hayat um i think it's important to um to factor in the jealousy as well because i feel that I'm sure a lot of people have experienced jealousy where you, you feel enraged and you f- don't feel yourself and you feel it takes over. And I think to factor that in with everything else that he's up against, like with Iago's insecurity as to what's happened with Cassio and, and, and his scheme in order to, to pit uh, Othello and Cassio against each other and, and all that kind of stuff via Desdemona. I think it's really important to see how one can be led down this like crazy route and the repercussions of that and leading him to kill his wife. Um, not, for example, when if women were branded whores or whatnot, being sent to a convent or, or whatever it is or cast out, but to actually kill his wife. He couldn't have been in his right mind, I don't think, um, to, to, to do that. Um, and then obviously finding out the truth and then killing himself. I think that maybe is when the penny dropped for him and he had that realisation and felt himself again and thought, oh dear, like what I've done now, that means that's it then. It's, it's interesting uh, to, uh, to pick up both those things that, that, that you know, in, in a way we're kind of agreeing with, with, with Floriana in terms of saying that misogyny is a process. Mm-hmm. Um and one, a male man is is accultured and shaped yeah. into becoming so violently hateful yeah. of women and a woman mm-hmm. um, that they would go to the extent of, of becoming murderous. Yeah, yeah. And jealousy plays into that. But patriarchy, on the other hand, is a system. Mm-hmm. And while I guess we can argue about the process by which Othello became the man who murdered a woman, the woman who was his wife, I think we can probably all agree that the system uh, in in which this entire play exists is deeply, toxically patriarchal 
and oppressive. And we never leave that behind. Othello doesn't leave that behind. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of it, we know that he's unprivileged because of his race, Mm -hmm. because of the religion that they think he came from. He continues to practice. Mm -hmm. But he'll always have a weight greater than a woman. And that's a burden. That's a burden that I imagine you as 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 the female actors in the play bear the systemic there's a systemic yeah. burden on this thing which is patriarchy. Yeah. It's it's his it, I think Othello reaches for m- misogyny and, and 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 lies back on patriarchy when as an insecurity of what, when he doesn't understand why this would happen. Oh, it's because she's a whore. Of course. Do you know what I mean it's it, it, he sort of reaches for it as a as a as a means to understand the otherness that is this woman <laughs> that he, he you know um but it is it's just sad because part of her bewilderment throughout the scene is is I, I thought we were different to Emilia and Iago I thought what we had was was different and it wasn't oppressive like them two and suddenly he's coming out in this behavior that is like exactly like the rest of them which which underpins in that I think one of the most important lines in the play oh these men these men despite how much she like endeavoured to believe that it was different is actually you can't you know you can't change it with yeah. I think um, one of the, the the great things about this play and, and how it is such a great tragedy is that as an audience member you're you're able to see yourself in all of the characters mm-hmm. you're able to see how jealousy plays a role in um, making someone go mad and making choices that they perhaps wouldn't have if they're in the right mind and I think that um, in the same sense the the women in the play and um, Amelia for example she has in some sense internalized misogyny and patriarchy so much so so that throughout the journey we see her battling with it and her her journey really is one of, of seeing the world for what it is and seeing herself in a different light which then enables her and gives her the kind of inner strength to say look this isn't right this isn't perhaps um, how I should be seeing myself and, and I'm going to make a stand, I'm going to try and stand up for, for somebody, Desdemona, who who has done that throughout her life. So I think um, the question around what is a fellow misogynist is how much of a misogynist is in us all if we continue to live in um, a patriarchal society, society how, how much are we also maybe knowingly, unknowingly um, making kind of assumptions about other people or choices that could also fit under those kind of umbrella terms of of, of being oppressed or oppressive. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking like that his his ego, like at the end of the day within this patriarchal society, like how could she do this to me? Like when she's yeah. meant to obey me and this and this and that and the factors of that I thought was quite interesting. Um, there's a line that, that is that that I hear every t- night freshly and it's quite early on in the plot, not to the extent of like the, the the sort of mass horror that has unfolded, it's quite early on when the suspicion starts to play. And he says a line that he says, um, "I had rather uh, live upon the vapor of a toad than keep a corner in the thing I love for others' usage." And it's just this thing of like, "She's my possession. She's my possession." How insulting that not only is she betrayed me, but someone's taken what is mine. Mm. And it's just so sad <laughs> that that's his first... We've seen this pure love, that that's his first thing that he grabs onto, that yeah. how dare someone use what is mine? It's yeah, just- and, and, no, and, that, and, that, and, that, and that patriarchy is kind of deeply coded. And, and I, I wonder, too, what kind of personal experiences the, uh, that Othello's history brings to that, the, the history of enslavement, the mm. history of displacement... Um, that we become jealous for the things that are around us yeah. because those are the things that we hold on to. And I and I imagine for him that love that he was shown because he was shown it. Yeah. He didn't ask for it. This is uh, was offered to him and he took it. Becomes a proxy for maybe all the other things that have been missing yeah. in his in his personal history. Once again, not to excuse it, but you can. But in a way, we can see how how th- that patriarchal impulse plays with also the sense of loss and, yeah. and so on. Uh, the last question I want to ask you guys, um, you know, it's the, the play is going to Exeter next mm. um, and and then we'll be in, in London 
at, at Wilton's Music Hall, uh, which which I have to say I'm, I'm really excited about. It's my it's my hood. I live in I live I live in the East End. It's just literally down the road from me, and I'm really excited uh, about you know young women and men from from my neighborhood coming to Wilton's to see to the show. I think I think that it's going to be surprising to them. I think it's going to be exciting to them, and I and I want I want young Muslims, the people who I've worked with for many years, to to come and experience and and to and to talk about the, this play after they see it. Um, you know, I guess every actor or director must have an aspiration as to what you hope the audience is going to leave with. And yeah, of course, audiences leave with whatever they want, but there, there must be something that you want to leave them with. Floriana, what what do you want audiences to to leave? With what would what what would you hope that they leave with? Um, I think I'd hope that they saw the play as being reflective of society in the world, and not just as a piece of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think though it is hugely entertaining, and you know, at moments you want to laugh, you want to cry. Um, I think just that kind of that the play is exposing um, realities and, and lived experiences. And to kind of perhaps have a thought on um, people that may be experiencing those and, and where they see themselves within within those issues and what their views are on these things. Mm-hmm. Hayat? Um, I'd say probably the importance of the three women in the play and what they represent. Mm. Um, Piers, who plays Cassio, said to me that uh, he did a workshop with a kids group and then and during the workshop, he'd mentioned Bianca and one of the girls just went, oh, but she's just a prostitute, isn't she? And he was like, oh, okay, well, talk to me after you see the show. And lo and behold, you know, she was like, oh, I didn't realize that this was a real human mm. and was a fleshed out character and one, what she stood for and all that stuff. So that. <laughs> that That's a good aspiration. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nora. Yeah, kind of what's been said already, really. This is an army play, so it's often looked uh, as this play about men in a men environment, but the three voices are so specific in the play. But also I think um, it's so well written in that Iago is the puppeteer and Iago is who the audience have the most contact with and is charismatic and whatever. So, you know, to an extent, the audience are sort of on his side because he charms them with his jokes and with his, this is exactly what's going on in my mind. And then instantly, when you see what happens at the end, the audience are culpable (laughs) for siding with this toxic white misogynist. Um, And hopefully, I always like the the, the audience to come out feeling a bit guilty of you know all the this toxic masculine banter that was so easy and most people laughed at actually what that's caused and what those microaggressions and and not just laughed at probably laughed along with yeah laughed along with yeah absolutely absolutely so come out feeling guilty well if anything this this conversation (laughs) has been amazing and rich and and it's a real testament to what each of you have achieved because i think there's something really remarkable um in this process but in this in this production um so so i just want to say thank you thank you for for allowing me to be part of it uh thank you for sharing um your experiences of 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 going through it and and continuing to go through it and continuing to 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 develop it And, and and more than that i i i sincerely hope that the big issues which this particular production has been able to raise are for the for the audiences who'll see it and also for 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 those people who who engage with it as critics and as mm. and and observers um will actually highlight the ways in which all these things intersect how 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 patriarchy and misogyny and islamophobia and racism and power structures are all sort of you know tightly wound around each other mm. and how this you know hundreds of years old play can give us a window into into actually how tightly those systems are are wound together so um not that I, not not that shakespeare is a, doing shakespeare is a service but i think you've done a great service oh, great. so <laughs> so thank you so much you've been listening to the othello project created by english touring theater with support from amal a project of the Said Foundation. 
Special thanks to our guests, Nora, Hayat, and Floriana, for a wide-ranging, intense, provocative, and thoroughly stimulating conversation. Special thanks also to Ellie Isherwood for recording and sound design, and to the incredible, inimitable team at ETT for pulling this all together. Othello runs at Wilton's Music Hall London from 16th May to 3rd June. Tickets are available from wiltons.org.uk. I hear they're going fast, so book soon to avoid disappointment. I've been your host, Abdul Rahman Malik. Next week, we're joined by Matthew Carr, the author of Blood and Faith, The Purging of Muslim Spain, a remarkable book which looks at the process by which the Iberian Peninsula was cleansed ethnically cleansed, really, of its Muslim population. Matthew picks up the themes of the Moor and otherness and assimilation in a way that's going to shock you and uh, make you think. It certainly did for me. This week's and last week's and the first week's podcast can be found on iTunes or your favorite Android podcast tool or by visiting www.ett.org.uk. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. Last thing before we leave you this week, on the 20th of May at Wilton's Music Hall, we're having a full day celebration and exploration of Othello. The Othello Project is live at Wilton's Music Hall from 12 noon right until the end of the evening. We have artistic responses from three incredible playwrights, spoken word, poetry, uh, clips from a new documentary and music from Kareem Samara and some incredible food from the kitchen at Wilton's Music Hall. Join us at Wilton's Music Hall on the 20th of May for a day of celebrating this production of Othello and a day of ideas and artistic response. More information is available at wiltons.org.uk. Till next time. (music) 